Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode number 288, recorded February 10th, 2018. So today we're going back to the gold key whale. Again, yes, we have many to review. Right, so this first one is uh, very reminiscent of an old story that we all read or watched when we were kids, a thing called Gulliver's Travel. Yeah, it reminded me, uh, the cover especially, reminded the left one with, uh, with a green-skinned Spock climbing on the head of a needle. Right. That reminded me of The Incredible Shrinking Man, the mm. 1950s movie. But you're right, as we get in it, there are things happening, which is definitely Gulliver's Travels, big time. Right. And then the second one, just to give you a little teaser, since we teased the first one, uh, is, uh, eh, it's just confusing. It, it's hard to, to pin down. You'll, you'll listen to it. You'll listen to us talk about it, and you'll be like, I've heard that somewhere. But I, maybe it was another gold key. Anyways, <laughs> it, it's also a very familiar story, but I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it. We'll talk about it in a minute, Ken. Yeah, it's the second one for me is a real kind of like a hack of multiple ideas. Right. Um, anyway, something to look forward to. Yeah. When I so use words doing, like hacks. Only doing two gold key this time. Yes. They tend to be a little long. There's a lot of details going on, although it's a mix of whether it's good details or not. Okay, so I've got 25. It's called The Dwarf Planet, and it was published July of 1974. The cover features an incredible shrinking man style cover with a green skinned Spock climbing up the head of a needle while being watched by a huge eye behind a magnifying glass. And Kirk is on the second half of the cover and he is being attacked by small toy looking spaceships and Lilliputian space soldiers. The, the grabber caption reads Miniature people. Under a strange sun, threaten the lives of the Enterprise crew. Oh, that's a grabber. That's going to make you want to buy a book. Okay. The opening page grabber shows what appears to be Mr. Scott hurling rocks at a green microbe on a microscopic landscape. While only clothed in a polka-dotted loincloth, Scotty says he never thought a lad like me would be going out this way. Hey. Captain's Log reports how Lieutenant Uhura picked up a radio transmission that indicated intelligent life in a little explored corner of the Alpha Quadrant. They arrive at the unexplored planet that has structures on the surface made by intelligent life. Kirk, Spock, and a white Lieutenant Uhura take a shuttlecraft down to the surface to investigate. They land at a spaceport of some kind with rocket ships, but quickly discover that no one is about. As they continue their walkabout, they discover a cluster of buildings that are miniaturized. The tops of most of the buildings come up to their waist. This appears to be some sort of a Legoland, Captain. 
Okay, they didn't really say that. But it reminded me of Legoland. They decide to split up to maximize the damage they can cause. Not long after, Kirk is attacked by a squadron of little toy rockets that eject strands of thread and weights on both ends. So many. Kirk is finally brought down with all the cables. One of the rockets lands and out comes tiny soldiers. They're really little guys. Gulliver, I mean Kirk, realizes that he is in trouble and attempts to call for an emergency beam-out, but is hit with some kind of knockout gas by a tiny soldier. A little red-shirted guy, who calls himself General KYW, said he established communications with the sleeping Kirk via a device in his head. He says that Kirk is his prisoner. <laughs> the general has the gift of gab and goes on how giants will not take over his planet while he lives. Kirk finds the gas they hit him with, shut down his ability to speak and move. He can only lay on the rolling platform that they put him on and think about the Swiftian events unfolding. The wooden platform they have him on has wheels and they roll him into a tiny walled city. Kirk thinks that this city is smaller than the other two. So there were three races on this planet? Why did the smallest race survive the other two? How could one planet evolve three different sized intelligent races when they all would be living in the same environmental conditions? The general stops, wheeling Kirk, in front of a platform where a woman is seated in a green dress. He addresses her as Madam President, and Kirk thinks this is a more advanced world than many. She tells the general to give Kirk the antidote to the beta gas. Kirk can now move and speak, and says he comes in peace. The president says she knew he would say that, and unveils Spock and Uhura, who appear to be bound under the president's stage. The president tells the story of her third city on planet Krujal. All three cities were her own people's cities. They used to be as tall as Kirk's landing party, but over time, due to their oddly changing sun, they began to shrink generations ago. Over time, they had to abandon the old cities to build new, smaller ones. If something is not done about the strange radiation their sun is expelling, they will eventually become microscopic. Ahura proposes to resettle them. The Enterprise could move their entire population to a new planet in several trips. The President says she and her people have discussed that, and the answer is no. They will not leave their homeworld. Kirk confers with Spock and Uhura over the objections of the General, who thinks Kirk and his people will conquer them. Spock says they can't alter their son. Kirk says they need to understand the strange radiation and find a defense, an antidote to its effects. To accelerate the study of their son's strange radiation, Kirk proposes to fly the Enterprise very close to their son, regardless of the likely deleterious effects on the crew. The President and the General accept the proposal, but keeps Ohura as a hostage to prevent the Enterprise from escaping. The devious Lilliputians slip soldier spies onto the Enterprise in a box of supposedly ripened fruit. Once on the ship, they leave the box, bent on sabotage and attack. 
As the Enterprise approaches the sun, they begin their analysis, but have a mechanical failure in the RE analyzer dish. Scotty goes out despite the risks in a spacesuit to effect repairs. He fixes the dish, but in doing so, rips his suit. When Kirk brings him back, they find Scotty's suit was ripped and the strange rays poured in. Scotty is the size of a doll and shrinking rapidly. They are gathering the data now, thanks to Mr. Scott, but will they have an antidote fast enough to save him? He goes microscopic, but McCoy and Spock put him in a sterile environment under glass. The tiny soldiers see an opportunity and shoot the air pipe that is pumping air into Scotty's sterile world. Before he knows it, Mr. Scott is in an adventure fighting in Miniland and trying to beat back a microbe. They capture the mini-soldiers and eventually come up with an antidote, a shrink ray which is effective in bringing Scotty back to full size. Yay, they have a way to save the Lilliputians! The president arrests Lex Luthor, General KYW, and they make a joke on the bridge as they break orbit to their next giant adventure. I love the cover. I thought this cover was amazing. <laughs> you do? Okay, yeah. I really, it's colorful. It's Oh, it's colorful, all right. Uh, I don't know what it is about it, but I really liked it. Uh, uh, the only thing I didn't like is, you know, the Kirk being attacked by the little rocket ships throwing the, the ropes. Well, that's a little too Gulliver's Travel. But the head of the pen and then the eyeball looking through the microscope, just, it's a really cool visual. That is a cool visual. But why did they make Spock green? Or, or is that Scotty? That's yeah, Sp- Scotty. Okay. Yeah, there's no. Oh, that's right. No here. pointy on the ears. Okay, fine. You're right. But what's the deal with the green skin? Well, it's because he's so tiny. Light, light, light travels different when you're that small. Okay, uh, whatever. But, but is that a conscious decision, or is it just an inking error or a coloring error? Yeah, I don't know. Because Kirk's fine. Aside from not looking like Kirk. Well. Granted, but I mean, his coloring at least is correct. Um, I don't know. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I just like like that the visual. I liked it. I liked how he's in the sun, which, as we know, is the cause of the shrinking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I just it's a cool cover. They tied together a lot of things. It speaks to me. There you go. Okay, so is that supposed to be McCoy's eye or something, or maybe Spock's looking right. down on Scotty? Probably okay. McCoy because he was the one that was in charge of watching them. Exactly. Make sure no microbes get him. Exactly. Right. Okay. So did the little soldiers also sabotage that scanning dish or something? Why? Well, because it failed at an opportune moment, at a bad time. Well, they uh, – yeah, when they attack, they, they poke a hole into the ventilation system, which is well, where no, the, no. the microbes come no, from. No, I know that. But that oh, happened right. later. Oh, so, which... Yeah, so so they ob- – well, they showed oh, us. Oh, 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 why the, the little dish didn't pop out when it was supposed to. Exactly, that, that forced Scotty to go out there. So, yeah. you know, I don't know how they could have affected something so close to the skin of the ship, but who knows. It just seemed like, like well, something he, that might explain why they had that mechanical well, failure yeah, also. They do, they do say that they're going to locate something small and vital. So, yeah, I guess they did do it. Yeah. That is their only line of dialogue before they show back up and start attacking McCoy. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Oh well. 
Okay, so General KYW, who sounds like a personal lubricant, looks like he's really full of himself. I mean, he looks like Barman Bailey guy or something. He's got his hands up in the air, and he's waving his hands, and I control you now. Lex Luthor, exactly. Yeah, that's just Lex Luthor. (laughs) Mr. Luthor. Yeah, so that was something. So he's got a red tunic on and a golden dagger at his waist. Mm -hmm. At least at the beginning, when he captures Kirk. Later on, the tunic turns into purple, which of course had to happen. So he's bald, looks like Lex Luthor, and he's got purple clothing on for the second half of the book. Right. So where have we seen that before? Uh, Every gold key ever. (laughs) What's it? Is it an inside joke with those guys or what? Eh, It was just back in the day. That's what you did. Oh, God. That's funny. That is funny. Right. Okay. Well, so, so another. Funny. No, can I can I say something? Now? Please, go ahead. Sorry, because uh, I, <laughs> I I just I just want to get physics down right. So if your if your suit rips open yeah. in space, yeah, all the air it sucks out, right? Yep. Yep. And cold sucks it and comes in. Yeah. And if you were like two inches Pressure. tall, wouldn't you fly through the little hole? I think you probably would. And uh, not or, end up in the boot. Or even if you even if you were there and stayed in there, pressure would be gone. So you know you'd explode because your inside pressure's too high, or at least you'd have pressure like that. I don't think you would explode. I think we've watched enough. Well, okay, Discovery okay, so I'm, and I'm, Last Jedi. To know I'm over that people don't explode. I'm over. Space. I'm overstating it. But you the fact it. is, you know, your eyes could pop out. Uh, you've got. You've got a lot of pressure going on inside your body and no pressure on the outside. Right. And yeah. it's cold and there's no air. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a variety of things that's going to do you in. So I don't think Scotty should be alive. Probably not. Yeah, that's my biggest problem with the book. Yeah. Well, okay, you, you talk about physics and I thought you were going to talk about... Oh, I thought the you, shrinking in general? The shrinking <laughs> in general, right. Because the whole concept of shrinking, I mean... So you have X number of cells that are X X size, and then you start shrinking. And then what happens when you go microscopic? I mean, really, all of your atoms are able to shrink that far down too? Right. Well, Um, at least least with the people, it made sense, maybe, is that each generation was shorter. Yeah. Much shorter than the other, so... Uh, I didn't really get the idea that in their own lifetime they were getting smaller. It was more like they just weren't getting bigger. Oh, well, like, okay. Like all their children were getting smaller. Yeah, okay. But that's definitely not what happened with Scotty. Well, but that's because he was exposed to more of the radiation because uh, he was in space closer to the sun. And, you know, there was no protection of the planet's uh, ionosphere or whatever. Right. Magnetic field, whatever. Now, is there a scene in the in the book? Because for whatever reason, I really remember this scene where it showed like a, a a man and woman at a dinner table, and the woman's like, "Honey, do you think we're getting smaller? <laughs> is that in there, or am I misremembering?" I think you're misremembering. No, no, here it is. I found it. Is the 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 husband is like, 
honey, I think we're getting smaller each passing day. And she's like talking on this big giant phone. And she's like, yes, yes, it's true. Oh my God. So that's when, that's when she was recounting the story. Yeah. Yeah. So no, so they were of her people. Oh God. It wasn't just a generational thing. And look at that yellow hat she's got on. What the heck? Hey, don't, don't knock other people's fashion. And you're and you're completely right. She is about the size of a, a eight year old or something, or maybe a five year old. And she's got she's on the phone, <laughs> and the phone is huge next to her. Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> you're just noticing it now. Oh, that's funny. I'm glad you brought my attention back to that. Yeah. So when I was thinking about it, I was like, I really remember that scene, but uh, but I couldn't remember if it was actually in there or something. I just came up with. Nope, it's there. No, it's there. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of glossed over that, that story. I mean, it's like she already said what happened. You know, they're all our cities. You know, we shrunk. Okay, fine. That, that was probably enough. Right. You probably didn't need the phone scene. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so they make a big deal that they look medieval, medieval-ish, and yet they have, you know, rocket ships and stuff. Right, yeah, rocket ships too. Rocket ships and telephones, right? And they live in medieval castles. Now, now, if they started using medieval stuff because they lost their technology as they began shrinking, that's fine. But that that flashback to where the, <laughs> the uh, little wife using the big big girl phone. Um, I mean, they got the they got the uh, medieval garb there too. Oh, yeah. yeah amazing. Uh, whatever. And then what did you think of the joke at the end? You know how they... Oh, was there a joke? The joke. Oh, oh, I, I get you. Uh, something they called a joke, but it really wasn't that funny. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because basically Scotty's like, I'll never make fun of another man's size again. That's just an odd yeah. thing to say. Experience is a, is a great teacher. A teacher? This kind of experience is a full professor. <laughs> Kirk, you, you shouldn't tell jokes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Scott, Scotty, that's not very nice. That's not very PC of you. Right. But there, there was no such thing as PC back then. Or at least not the term. Right. Well, yeah, especially in this book. Yeah, did... Uh... In your synopsis, did you did you bring up the uh, the non PC word that they use throughout this whole book? No, I did not. Can we bring it up? I don't. I think, see, why not? Uh, I think we can say it. I think so. So you know, this was written in 1974, so times were different, and so throughout the story, they keep referring to the little people as midgets, which or. Is, it's not a nice thing to call little people. Yeah, it's a, a derogatory term. Yeah, well, it is Midget City. Oh, that's actually the name of the place. Well, no, Ohura called it oh, a yeah. Midget City. Right, and then they keep calling them midgets too. And and I, I'm really glad we didn't do Gold Key Theater for this one because that would have been <laughs> hard to ask somebody to keep saying that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's interesting to read an older book and then um, and then see you know what what was okay for a children's book back then versus now. 
Yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah. that's that's the way it is. I mean, sure. there, there's politicians that have gone by the wayside, and even Arizona, that uh, was used to using the word pickaninny and thought nothing of it, because that's what they grew up with. Hmm. I don't know if we could say that but, word. But, yeah. but w- times change. Well, yeah. Yeah, people of my grandmother's generation, I've heard them use that term. Yeah, or folks from the South. My in-laws are, are, are from the South, and it's rare, but once in a great while, they'll use a word that's like, oh, oh, okay. Wouldn't have expected that, but okay. We don't, we don't say that anymore. Yeah, I, I don't say anything, but, and that's rare. I have, let me point that out. Very rare. Right. But, you know, it's what the people we're raised with. They think nothing of it. They don't mean anything by it. Right. I think in our lifetime, or, or at least in my lifetime and, and, and yours, uh, yeah. I've always had a hard time. What what do you call or what is the always the correct term to refer to like uh, black skinned people? Right. So when I was a kid, it was, you know, you just called them black because that's what color of their skin is. And then mm-hmm. it was African-American. And then <clears throat> now it's gone back to to black. So it's just like, you know. I never want to say anything derogatory towards anybody, right? So I yeah. always want to say whatever the correct thing to say is, but it keeps changing. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, so I mean, I, I could totally get where people that have lived even longer than than we have, you know, uh, <laughs> you could old also people. some sometimes fall back on some terms that we now sure. think are, are sure. inappropriate. Right. right. Eh, things change over time. Right. Okay. Anyways. Little social commentary in our comic book discussion, <laughs> right? So interesting that they chose to put Scotty in a loincloth that's made out of polka dotted fabric. Yeah, it looks like a, a almost. I thought it was an American flag at first, and I was like, "That's weird." And then I'm like, "Oh, those are dots. Those are dots." So, and that was is made out of a handkerchief that McCoy had in his pocket, right? So. Why couldn't he just make something out of the clothes, his his own clothes, Scotty's own clothes? I mean, was he was he was well, he naked he was, when he went I in? I think he was naked in the in the spacesuit. Okay, that makes sense, right? Don't yeah, you go yeah in no, naked? no. Uh, I would think you'd have underwear or maybe <laughs> a unitard or something. Right, but nah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe the uh, the handkerchief was a smaller piece of cloth, so it was easier easier for him to deal with. I don't know. Well, whatever. Yeah. But the visual of him having a polka-dotted loincloth on I thought was rather funny. Right. So if you think about how big that uh, that polka-dotted should be, I mean, those are some tiny dots exactly. on that handkerchief, which does not make any sense. No. There's no way that handkerchief had dots that were <clears throat> microscopic on there. And have you ever actually seen a polka-dotted handkerchief? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Have you? I haven't. Now, mind you, there aren't many handkerchiefs around these days. That's kind of gone by the wayside. Right. But, um, I mean, when I was a kid, handkerchiefs tended to be, you know, white. Just white, you know, nothing fancy. I don't, I don't think I've ever well, seen polka dotted ones. In the future, they use polka dot ones to hide all the boogers. Yeah, but where does McCoy put the handkerchief? <laughs> the inner pocket that we don't see on screen? <laughs> they have no pockets. They've never <laughs> had pockets. Where do you put the handkerchief? I mean, where, where did that pocket come from, McCoy? I that, think you, Vel- that you extracted Velcro's that the, from? 
Velcro's to their armpits. You mean the magnetomic adhesion that they keep the phasers on with? There you go. Oh, God. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, did you know it was supposed to be magnetomic adhesion that held their uh, phasers in place? You, you have mentioned it a time or two. Did when I? You, okay. When you want to sound superior, you always bring it up. Okay, fine. Moving on. <laughs> no, I always found that funny that, yeah. that Gene Roddenberry <clears throat> really hated zippers and buttons and stuff. So he was... it had to be something advanced. Yeah, you know yeah, what? But you know what? Pockets are really handy. Sometimes a gold shirt is a gold shirt. It doesn't have to be something different. Yeah. Um, and sometimes pockets are really handy. You know? Yeah, as as they found out in Enterprise, they're like, "Let's go all in on the pockets." Yeah. <laughs> uh, they had flight suits on, so and that made right. sense. Which, of no. course, has pockets. But yeah, it should make sense for all of them to have pockets. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so Ahura's coloring changed. Yeah, I never noticed that. You said that uh, she goes from white to black to white. Well, I don't know about the. I think at the beginning she had a much lighter color to her, and also from a distance where they showed her from a distance. She had very white features also. But then there's a few close-ups where, yes, she looks more like Nichelle Nichols. Mm. But at the beginning, she's, she's the same color as Kirk. Yeah, and on that first page, first page of the actual story when they're in the city, it yeah. has that she's in the foreground. Yeah. I, I could see that she looks a little off-colored. Right. I didn't notice it when I was reading it, though. Yeah. But now that you pointed out. At least she's not blonde and, and green-eyed like she was nah. in some of those Peter Pan stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, where apparently the Peter Pan stuff, I, I guess they mixed her up with that one woman that was in one episode that was at the uh, comm station. Right. That blonde lady. Oh, well. Good point. So General KYW has a rectangular box strapped to his head. And nobody else does. That was one of my points. Yeah, and he appears to have white thimbles on his fingers of his left hand. I did not notice the thimbles, but well, the, but in regards to the box, he actually says at the beginning when he first captures Kirk, yeah, this box lets me talk to you. Or and control then, you. Does he say control? I thought it was control. Uh, that's, that's why I, I... I thought he said communicate. Communicate? I, uh, I thought he said basically he controlled Kirk. But then it was like, oh, that makes it sound like you can actually, you know, truly control him, like a marionette or something. And, but uh, really, all he did was take away his ability to move or talk. Right. That's what the spray, though. They sprayed him with the, the stuff that knocked him out or kept him paralyzed. And then he says, uh, with the, the little box thing, he says, contact is now established between us through the device on my forehead. So that was how he was talking to him. Which at first I thought well, made sense because, you know, if a fly starts talking to you, you're not going to be able to hear it because they're too dang small. Huh. So I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's like amplifying his voice so that Kirk can hear it over, and it's not just a squeak. And then <laughs> later everybody else is talking to him and he yeah. doesn't have the device anymore. So that's when I was like, okay, the device is just kind of stupid. Right? Yeah, 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 you're right. Completely. Yep. I, I misinterpreted the uh, box on his head. Now, what about these thimbles? Where are those at? It's on his left hand. Yeah, so um, I thought that was part of his control mechanism for Kirk. 
But it was like, wow, you're not controlling them very much. Where do you see the thimbles, man? I don't see anything. Uh, you can see it on I the on the showman. You can see him on the showman thing. It's on his left hand, where he's you know his right hands up and his left hands forward. He's like, uh, my people will be, not become slaves to yours. Blah blah blah. Those are just fingers, man. No, there's no thimbles on there. Okay, take a look at the next page. Where he's bowing. Yes. Fingers there too. No, there too. No, nope. those are his he's fingers. Got, he's got little things covering his fingers. Thimbles covering his fingers. I don't think so, Ken. That's just you, just, you deny what you're seeing. <laughs> Look, they're a different color and everything. They're white. I think the coloring is wrong on, on oh. like part of it because the white from his stripe is kind of bleeding a little bit into the his first two fingers, but the rest are his color all the way through. And no. in regards to no. that first one, I where disagree. He's like saying that his people will never be slaves, they have fingernails, so they can't be thimbles. Ken. No, I don't. What are you talking about? No, I blow, see no. I see no fingernails. I blow see thimbles. Up the picture where he says, "My my people will never be slaves." Thimbles. And you can see fingernails on. I it. see thimbles. <laughs> okay. Part of the control mechanism. <laughs> There's no control mechanism. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's funny. <sighs> okay. All right. Shall we move on to the next one? Please, because I am out of notes. Yeah, me too. All right, so this is issue number 26. It has a cover date of September 2074. Almost to the time of Donovan. But not quite. All right, so this one has a cover, mostly red. It has a picture of a a samurai that looks like maybe two feet taller than Spock, fighting Spock. Uh, the samurai has a sword. Spock has judo fists. And then around uh, these two combatants, we see some glass cylinders that seem to have uh, each have a body of Spock in it. And then behind all this action, we see a uh, face and head of somebody that looks like Mirror Universe Spock with the goatee. Um, it might not be uh, Leonard Nimoy's face, but... Man, it looks like it. Same haircut and everything. So, and this is going to be a little weird, Ken, because I didn't quite finish. So, I'm going to be winging the end. Not a problem. All right, so the story starts with Kirk taking a landing party to a rogue planet that's flying through space without a sun. All the heat and light that the planet needs is coming from a ring that is around the sun, or around the planet, excuse me. The landing party uh, goes to the planet, and they are attacked by people that look like they come from ancient Japan. Something from, like, the Seventh Samurai movie. Uh, the, people send that, <clears throat> the people end up being nice, and they take them to their village. Uh, once they're meeting and greeting everybody, uh, one man in particular seems to question their existence. Just with an offhand comment. But uh, everybody else kind of looks at him weird and, and maybe even says something like, you can't talk about that. Uh, elsewhere, Spock goes off on his own. He fights some large mountain lion looking things. And then he eventually makes his way to an ancient Asian looking castle. Maybe a Japanese castle. Because I really think that's the theme they were going for in this book. Meanwhile, back in the village, the guy who made the very offhanded question to Kirk earlier gives him a small modeled house. Looks like a little Lilliputian house from the book before. 
Shortly after he gives Kirk the gift, he is arrested by some samurai and some other authority members. The Federation crew try to fight back. Uh, they all end up kind of getting taken into custody, and they're taken to a nearby dais. There, the arrested man who made the simple offhand question is killed. Meanwhile, back in the castle, Spock finds a guy controlling everything. And uh, he is actually cloning people to make up the population of the planet. So when Spock walks in, a lot of naked dudes on a conveyor belt, pretty much. So uh, the guy now thinks that he's now going to have some new DNA to make some new fascinating clones. And he actually is able to stun Spock, and he's going to uh, harvest his DNA. Meanwhile, back in the village, Kirk and company are uh, meeting with the uh, the woman that Sulu's kind of taken an interest in when they are again attacked by samurai. After the samurai attack, then they're attacked by giant mountain lions. Uh, all the while, the woman is taking the Federation crew to the castle to try to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, in the castle, the evil guy is about to extract Spock's DNA, which is going to kill him. But fortunately, everybody pops in at the last minute. Uh, the woman is very frightened to find out that they're all clones uh, when she sees possible uh, exact duplicates of herself along this and sibling line type thing. So they start fighting some robots that show up, uh, save Spock, bring down the castle, and Kirk and company beam back to the ship just in time before the planet explodes. Then we flash to a, a hearing where Kirk has been telling a tribunal uh, the story. He does speculate that uh, the reason why the planet blew up was that the woman blew them up because she uh, thought of herself as being a mutant or a uh, unworthy of living because she was just a clone of some sort but he does say that that's just a guess and then the final shot shows uh some cleanup crew guy bringing a little model house to kirk saying do you know what this is and of course kirk remembers it as being the gift that the one guy gave him and somehow this little model survived the destruction of a whole planet the end wow Another winner issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, great. So, this doctor, I guess, man of science, whatever. Right. Cloner. Cloner. Makes the biggest lab ever, at least as far as I know. He has the resources to build a whole planet that moves around. Right. On which he can do all of his experiments, his cloning experiments. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It is amazing. And so, he and he and he lands on feudal Japan as was, the model on which Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and is he from Earth? He looks Japanese, so I'm assuming he's, you know, maybe he's modeling it after his hometown, but yeah, good point. He doesn't necessarily have to be human. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. And it was weird because the crew kind of caught on earlier. I didn't put it in the synopsis, but they say that they're only seeing like 11 different faces and stuff. Right. But, but me, the reader, I didn't notice people having the same face. They never put two people with the same face in the same frame at the same time. So right. I never got the feeling that there was only 11 faces. If they wouldn't have said it, I would have not known that. Me too. But if that was the case, if every 11th person looked like one of the other 11, then mm – -hmm. 
why was that woman so shocked when she shows up and sees other people that have the same faces on that assembly line looking thing? I mean, she would have already been... I mean, she would have had to have... Well, I guess if you question it, you died, so you just never questioned yes. anything. And people knew something was going on. They just didn't push it. Right. Mm. Yeah, I guess if you knew that, uh, if you thought about it, you would die, that you would you would never question it. Mm. Yeah. Well, or at least publicly. Right. But then if she really knew something was up, uh, but just never expressed it, then w- again, I, she shouldn't be so surprised. Right. She'd be more like, like affirmation. Oh, yeah. This explains it all. This explains why I don't have a mom and dad. Exactly. What's a mom and dad? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, it, original Star Trek did this a lot, right? Where they had a set, you know, let's say they had a, a, a Greek set. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, all right, well, we're going to film on the Greek set. So go make us a, an episode that has some sort of Greek motif. Right. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> or Roman or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah, whatever, right, right. whatever another set there on the lot had that right. was that was their motif. So, you know, when Gold Key does it, you know, you got to give them a pass because, you know, that was the template they're using. But uh, sometimes it's still like, really? Uh, why Why would they look like medieval Lilliputians exactly. or well, feudal Japan? Parallel uh, development. Now, uh, it, it, <laughs> that's that's the thing they always used in Taws. Right. But, of course, Again, in this, so it's, it. it's all man-made. This one is, yeah. But why would he pick – I mean, I guess I guess if you like that, then – I mean that's why when I create my own planet, everybody's going to be running around in uh, in Star Trek uniforms. <laughs> That'll be the motif. Because that was like, yeah, that's 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 the planet I'm going to build. It's everybody that, or else like everybody will be Superman and Batman and that kind of thing. You can't give people superpowers, Ken. That's stupid. I know, but they'll run around in the outfits. <laughs> well, you can't run around the it's outfits. Like, it's like under ruse. Oh, it's like under ruse. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Anyways, but yeah, I liked the idea of the planet, and I liked how they even explained that the ring was what was giving it uh, light and uh, heat, and you know, they did such a good job explaining this big, or at least setting up this mystery, but then they don't ever really do anything with it, and they just blow it up at the end. Yeah. Because we've had other episodes where they've had quote-unquote rogue planets, right? I think in some of the early Gold Key, there was a... They kept calling it a rogue rogue planet that wasn't orbiting a sun, and it was just kind of like out there in yeah, space. Yeah, they, and, they, and we talked about it. It was like, well, that's, there should be no life on that because it's out in the middle of – there's no heat. There's no uh, light. But here, they, they fixed it. They, like, they explained it. Yeah, so it was kind of like a Dyson sphere, but in this case, a little bit more reasonable in the fact they just had a ring to generate right. the light and everything. Which must yeah. make it kind of chilly up at the uh, poles, but whatever. Well, we don't know. The ring might move around. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So how did Oshino know Yamamoto's name? Uh, which so that's is... the girl. The girl knew the... The, 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 the scientist's creator. name, the creator's name. Uh, now she, she... Nobody should know that. Well, she took him to the castle, so did she know that uh, there was nobody in the castle? Or she obviously knew the castle existed. Well, so uh, the so she, of life. 
So the Palace of Light. So she knew. So they all knew about the experimenter. Maybe. Uh, apparently, they knew his name, or she like, knew his name. Like a religious thing, you know. He's the creator. He lives up in that palace, but we can't talk about him. Okay. A Mount Olympus type thing. Okay, fine. So they know who he is. Right, but maybe they didn't think he was real, or mm. they they didn't think they could ever go see him. Right. Right. Yeah, good point. I do okay. like all the the phaser action. For whatever reason, they they just do fists in that first fight, but then later they they do shoot the samurais. And I thought the that that should have been game plan one. Right. Well, we had to have the fist fight. That's, that's classic <laughs> Taws, baby. It's classic Taws, and 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 heavy on the uh, on the comics too. Right. That's one thing about uh, the Discovery show is that there was a few times where they were in a, a firefight. You know, somebody's hiding behind a, a a column or something, and they're mm-hmm. shooting. And I kept telling my wife, I was like, just set the phaser to widespread. It would be over. Exactly. Take out everybody <laughs> that's just standing there in the middle with one shot. With one shot, exactly. Wide field. Yeah, what, that should be their go-to move. Yeah. Uh, also, Discovery used uh, some kind of a bomb or a grenade or something. Oh, yeah, like a flash. flash like bang. a flashbang? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're talking about a recent episode, yeah. which really isn't that recent by the time this finally gets on the Yeah, no, boy, it's be like, uh, that was three seasons ago, Cam. Exactly. Yeah, we really <laughs> got to pick up our production. But anyways, uh, since uh, as of the recording, the show's still new. I, I am really digging the show. Yeah, we got one more episode tomorrow. And then it's over. That's right. But it did get picked up for season two, so. Yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, all, all that ta- – well, we'll talk about it later. Okay. But anyways, back to this book. Um, I don't really have anything else to say. I only have one last thing to say, which is where they refer to Chapel as medical officer Chapel instead of nurse Chapel. So I thought, wow, Gold Key was a little bit more progressive than Taz ever was. This is year four or five, so she's – you know that she's a doctor by the time uh Oh wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> Don't even say that Gold Key is trying to be in any particular year. This is its own thing. It's its own thing. Very much its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Alright, I just just thought that was interesting. It's like yeah, Medical who's... Officer Chapel. Oh, that sounds pretty impressive. Hmm, okay. And who's the old bald guy that's with them? Just random guy. Oh, the so security have, guy? Yeah. You have Ahura, Sulu, Kirk, Chapel, bald guy. <laughs> old bald guy. Old bald guy, yeah. So he's like a middle-aged uh, red shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a great. dialogue in the whole thing. No, he does. does Birds, he? are you sure we won't find a yellow brick road in this forest? <laughs> that's him? Okay. I think that's about it. And then isn't he the one that gets attacked by the lion? Uh, yeah, but they shoot it off of him. Yeah, but they shoot it off of him. Yeah, yeah and then does he do anything else on this? No, he's just in the background. He's just there. Yeah, and he's got like longish Picard hair, so he's bald on the top. He's got the donut around the back, but it's kind of long and like wavy, and uh-huh. he's got a, a white mustache. Right. I think that's yep. great. I love that. I just thought it was random. I kept it's, waiting for it's him incredibly to die random. because I was like, well, sure, he's going to be the one dead. He's the only person that's not a name. <laughs> no, they, didn't they like shout his name when he was attacked by the lion? But he's 
He's not a named guy. Oh, no. oh gotcha, gotcha. No, they don't okay. ever call him by name. They don't call him by name? Okay. Uh-uh. Yeah, well, he's, you know, he's just a red shirt. He's just along to be attacked or whatever. And killed. Well, <laughs> usually, but not in this case. So. So what kind of DNA extractor did this guy have to do to Spock to kill him? You did get the, the feeling that they were going to kill Spock, right? Um, was that going to kill him, too? Okay. Did he actually say it? He's yeah, like, maybe. Uh, he says, I can destroy you now, so... Oh, yeah. no, that was after he had his samples. So after I have, I now have my samples, I can destroy you now. Okay, he now okay, he's going to so, kill him. All right, so the DNA extraction wasn't the thing that was going to kill him. He was just going to do it out of some perverse love of killing. Exactly. You didn't have to kill him. But, but he wanted to. Oh, he did. And he's got his little weird gun, his little needle gun. Yeah, and then she blows him up along with the planet. Exactly. That's pretty cool, though. They got, like, a gunfighter kind of thing. They both shoot at the same time. Right. But, but yeah. But she lives long enough to blow it up. Maybe. They think that's what happened. They don't know for sure. Right. Well, it's a good thing she took care of that, isn't it? And so if she was always, like, living in this world, ever, I mean, she's a clone, what else would she ever know? Then. Where would she get the idea of some kind of moral compass that tells her this is wrong and should be blown up? I don't know, man. I mean, very handy that she does well, that. She but... just fell in love with Sulu, and now everything's put into focus for her. Okay. Love does that to you, Ken. Okay. It lets you see the hypocrisy of life. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> However, we know that morals are pretty much manufactured by the society you're in. That's true. So, was this something that uh, Wing Chiang introduced here or something, or what? I don't, I don't know. It just, just seems kind of a weird assumption that these people would have morals, you know, in alignment with ours. Right. Well, they had a the story, that's why. There you go. Okay. They did. So when I build my planet, like I said I was going to earlier, yes, yes. I'm not going to put a self-destruct button in it. <laughs> you just seems, you want it to just stay around. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of surprised you said everybody dressed, dressed like Star Trek. I just envisioned you'd say more like everybody be dressed like Han Solo or uh, Grand Moff Tarkin or, you know, that kind of thing. A Star Wars motif. I think it would be cheaper to dress them out like Star Trek because it would be everybody cheaper. can wear the same... I, don't have to, I could build like a million red shirts and <laughs> whereas Star Wars everybody has to look different. Oh my god. They could all be stormtroopers. Ah, oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. stormtroopers. Okay. Who would want to go around talking to stormtroopers all day? Ah. Sometimes you can't even understand what they're saying. Exactly. Okay. Anywho. Yeah, that's all that's all I have on this one. Yeah, me too. Uh, not not the best, not the worst. No. No. So next week, uh, we're going to get to s- the Kelvin universe again, right, Ken? With, uh, oh, yeah. 11, 11, yeah, let's, 12, let's do that. Boldly go. Let's do that. Yeah, I'm really wanting to try to get caught up on that series because uh, we've got a little bit behind. Yeah. But that's fine. Yeah. We can build up some something so we can mix in, have something other than Gold Key. And we do. We do have to get to the UK comic strips at some point. Okay. Well, how about after next week's? Um, All right. There. It's done. Holy go. We can we'll go. do it. Perfect. We will do it.
All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back next week with some Boldly Go. Perfect. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic second name book review see you next time on Star Trek comic book review